Welcome to Tool Talk from Exegetical Tools, where we discuss painful practices and promising resources to help you rightly divide the word of truth. Here today to explain why these practices are sometimes painful are the authors of Learning Biblical Hebrew, a new Hebrew grammar and textbook, Carl Kutz and Becky Josberger. How are you guys today? Good. We're great. Thank you. Good. This is uh, this is fun. Um, as you know, and our listeners don't yet know, we've been chatting a little bit ahead of time, and I can already tell that... Uh, Multnomah University has a jovial spirit, at least right now. (laughs) This is fantastic. I asked you guys to come up with two adjectives, painful and promising. Becky, why painful? Well, the truth is you mentioned Multnomah having a jovial spirit. Honestly, I think Hebrew is one of the most, um, well, I speak in hyperbole. It may not be the most, but one of the very beloved programs, and we really have fun together. But honestly, Hebrew and sometimes Greek are probably the hardest courses that students are required to take in seminaries. Um, And my experience, and I think Carl's as well, was that most students worked harder on Hebrew and Greek than they did in any other class. But unless they went on to go get their PhD in that field, they rarely used what they learned afterwards. And Mm. as much as I love Hebrew... Uh, because I love the Old Testament and wanted that to be my field, I did not want to be responsible for giving the students the most work with the least results. Mm. I, yeah, that's a that's a big thing. So Becky, uh, for our listeners, is the associate professor of Hebrew and Old Testament at Multnomah Biblical Seminary. Carl is the professor of Biblical Languages and Bible at Multnomah University. How long have each of you guys been there? I've been at Multnomah for twenty three years. Awesome. I came here directly off of my PhD at the University of Wisconsin Madison. Mm-hmm. And I this is my tenth year. Fantastic. Um, at, not mama. Okay, so you guys have been doing this a little while. I mean, it's not like you just showed up in a Hebrew classroom and figured out how to make it all better all at once. Um, well, Carl did. I learned. From him. <laughs> He's known for the last twenty-two years exactly how this ought to be done, and now you you've picked up on it. That's that's Pretty perfect. Much. Man, that's. Yeah, the, it, the whole grammar actually generates from our own encounter with language. I learned Hebrew on my own I, as a youth pastor. I wanted to learn languages, and I learned Hebrew and eventually went on to graduate school and started teaching Hebrew at the University of Wisconsin as a graduate student. And while I was doing that, I had a colleague that was doing a master's degree in linguistics, and some of the things that he showed me related to the Hebrew language were so revolutionary in my mind because I had just memorized everything. And I thought, you know what, if I can help students understand why the language does what it does, I can cut down on the memorization so that they're memorizing the stuff that has to be memorized, Mm -hmm. but I can create an environment where they understand the language. And as a result, it's their friend for a long time to come, and it promotes reading long after they finish in the classroom. Yeah, Yeah, and to piggyback on that, I had taken years of Hebrew, years and years, but but the seminal part of my Hebrew was me learning it on my own as well. However, my learning it on my own looked very different than Carl's. (laughs) Mine was completely unsuccessful. I just didn't know that until I showed up in... um, Gary Pratico was my mentor at Gordon-Conwell, and uh, I jumped in the second semester, 
with him thinking I knew what I was doing because I had taught myself first semester and I didn't. And Gary Pratico taught me how to absolutely love the language, love the Old Testament, but I always felt like there was a little bit of gap in my knowledge. Um, I just didn't understand how it worked. And even when I would memorize paradigms perfectly, they didn't show up that way in the Hebrew text. And my personality is very uncomfortable with ambiguity. And I would doubt myself and Hmm. couldn't read with confidence. And this is after years and years of moving on and learning Hebrew better. Um, And then when I went to uh, Southern, I studied under Russell Fuller, and he filled in all those gaps for me, taught me how the language worked, uh, but we didn't translate a lot. And it was perfect for me because I had these holes in my in my understanding, and those were then filled in, and I could understand why the language worked the way it did. Right. Um, but when it came time to teach, this was my first teaching job. Um, I didn't have any teaching experience that was difficult for a female to acquire at Southern. Hmm. And so, um, gosh, the first semester, I think I had four textbooks <laughs> that <laughs> yes. I had students working from to try and get the best of both worlds. And uh, I... I wish this wasn't true, but it is. The most disappointing part of coming to Multnomah for me was that there was already another Hebrew professor here, and I was afraid he was going to think he knew what he was doing (laughs) and that he was going to want me to do what he was doing. And I knew in my head what I would not, I wouldn't settle for less than what that picture was in my head of what I wanted to do in merging these two concepts, Um, loving it and reading it and translating it, but also understanding how it works enough so that when you see something you don't recognize, um, you recognize its character. And it didn't take me long to figure out Dr. Kutz really did know what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and then we ended up merging the program by my, I think my second semester we taught a class together. And by third semester, so my first, second year here, the program had merged completely and we had started working together on the grammar, because what Dr. Kutz was doing in the classroom was exactly what I wanted to see accomplished. His students were reading within the first few weeks and loving it and not necessarily unafraid, but brave enough Mm. to make mistakes, but they knew what was going on with the language. And um, I was learning things. I was, I couldn't believe how much Hebrew I was learning sitting in on the classes. So yeah, we decided. And the other thing I'll mention here is every time a student of Kutz's came back to campus, um, I would ask them, can you still read Hebrew? And I would sometimes even like check with them because I wasn't even brave enough to sight read at that point. You Because know, what if I didn't know something? And they were like, yeah, yeah, I can. And then they would guiltily tell me whether they read it every day or don't. Or the last time they read it was last year and they feel so bad about it. And I'm looking at them going, what other student? graduated from Bible college 10 years ago and actually used their Hebrew last year. So um, that was my thorough research, but there wasn't a student that would come back on campus of his that wouldn't get grilled. Yeah. Wow. That was what I wanted to be a part of. Yeah. There's kind of this delicate balance between so many different aspects of language learning. I mean, the trend is to do a lot of immersion and oral culture of learning language, which is great, but we also have our students by the third year reading Isaiah and Job, so we have to blend that with the traditional type of learning, 
and capture the best of all those worlds. The, the traditional grammar approach that helps you understand what's going on in the language, a lot of oral reading. We never translate without reading orally in the classroom and then getting students into translation really early with a lot of translation. So our students are reading the entire Joseph narrative in a graded reader format uh, through the first semester and complete reading Jonah and S and Ruth um, in the second semester. Yeah, and then a lot of them voluntarily read Esther over the summer for three points extra credit in second year. <laughs> <laughs> That's dedication, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the other part that you mentioned in the two Ps was painful but also promising. One, our Hebrew here is entirely elective from the seminary all the way up through the college, and we offer, I think you can take we seven offer, years. Yeah, we offer 14 semesters worth of Hebrew. Wow. And all the classes um, are always full enough to run. We have just such a neat program, and that's because it the, the kind of hokey word I picked for the second descriptor was promising. Our students read. Um, I meet all the time. The biggest job I have here is as a cheerleader, really. And but just reminding them, no, you can you can do it. You can't do it perfectly yet, but you can do it. And I've never in ten years had a student fail unless they cheated. Um, every st and I don't change the final exam. They well, I change it, but the objectives are the same. Um, they read and translate large passages of scripture for the final exam of their first semester um, course. And, and, they, and it works. Yeah. It works. They can all read. And they're also usually very humble because they've seen the breadth of the language and they know what they don't know and they know what Hebrew can't tell them hmm. uh, in terms of their theology and fixing every magical problem and um, it's, it's, fun. it's entering into a conversation with mm -hmm. the text and they yeah. realize that it's a journey and they're going to keep asking those questions. And at least now they know what questions to ask, even in the, by getting to the translation really early, we have so many beneficial discussions about what makes a good translation, what factors are going into the determining what this means and, um, how do you navigate um, the tensions that exist when you hit a passage and you don't know exactly where it's headed? And our students just love those conversations. And yeah, we have, have a lot, lot of fun. Of fun. <laughs> we have a, I honestly have had years where I've had to, you know, miss a, a day here or there, and I'll get an email um, text from students, and they'll have email text that shows my technical abilities. <laughs> anyway. Um, and they'll have sent me a picture of them all in the classroom reading. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? I wasn't there. Yeah, we, we wanted to read anyway. <laughs> That's it awesome. makes you feel like yeah. a master teacher. And I promise I'm not a master teacher. <laughs> we just have a lot of fun. Um, it's really, really neat. And they like being able to get through. We read, if we have a four-hour class, we translate three hours of the week together in class. And... Um, the, the biblical text. That's just that's why cool. they took the class to begin with. Mm -hmm. is they wanted to be able to read the biblical text. So, right, yeah, yeah. just neat. So, yeah, we like what we do. Can you tell? <laughs> just a little. No, this is fantastic. <laughs> and I mean, I I just had a conversation with Danny Zacharias, who's put out the um, 
the biblical Greek made simple grammar through Lexum, and uh, his passion for students really came through. Your guys' passion for students obviously is coming through. And I want to highlight, I mean, just even the the subtitle here, right? Learning Biblical Hebrew, Reading for Comprehension. And it seems like, as you've talked about this, that's sort of what's coming out. That's that's the ultimate benchmark. Is it? Would you say that's accurate? Yeah. yeah. I One of the things that I was shocked at, I had had years of Hebrew. I had great Hebrew instructors. All the colleagues I went through, um, my Old Testament PhD with had co-authored grammars. I had this incredible background in Hebrew, but I didn't have any confidence. And I certainly had no idea that anyone read the biblical text and understood it as its own language without converting it into English. So I was an exchange student to Germany my senior year, so I understood the concept when I'm speaking or reading or thinking German. I'm not worried about English. Sure. But I didn't know that could happen to a, for a language that was dead. I saw words on the page, and they were English words with Hebrew shapes. Hmm. And, um, and watching Carl be able to not just read that way, but teach his students to read that way in two or three years, at least portions of the text was just astounding to me. And I, um, I since have, I since have learned to do that a little bit, maybe not as much as Carl, but it's also been fun for the students to see the journey. Now, one of the things, let, let me preface this by saying two things that are so, so important and I never want to be misunderstood on them. You don't need to be able to read Hebrew to understand the word of God and to know God better. It, it, he's amazing that way. God can reach you with or without the Hebrew text. <laughs> and secondly, I don't think either one of us believe that there's only one right way to learn Hebrew. Right. We just want people to learn Hebrew and our way is working really well for our students. Yeah. So yep. let's just be really, really, really upfront with that. One of the things that we find that works so well though is Whereas we have found, I have found other approaches, try to simplify concepts to bring it down to the level that a uh, seminary student can feel like they get to engage the text faster. Um, in the long run, feels like it's a little bit of a disservice because they, they don't ever have confidence in the text and the text is not simplified in its final form. It's our students tease and call our grammar Hebrew exceptions and all their rules. <laughs> so um, we, the, the comprehension part comes in when students kind of allow themselves to know that this text is, the language itself is so much more complicated, even than the, it seems when it's with weak verbs, and kind of laying that groundwork for them and then telling them, you know, we're going to give you a couple tools the best we can so that you can get through it. Um, and then we're going to walk with you and you're going to fail all the time, but you have that freedom. Go ahead. Fail yeah. all the time. That's yeah. how every language is learned. I think there are two things that kind of stand out in terms of what happens with our, our students. One of them is what Becky was just talking about, is that freedom to fail. There's nothing that's more debilitating in the learning process than not being able to just jump in and do whatever comes and be able to work through it and feel like you don't have to perform. Mm -hmm. And our students have found a... Uh, a welcoming atmosphere where 
I may have said it backwards. Yeah. That's okay. You, yeah. you want them to be able to fail. Yep, yes, I it. want students to be able to fail and not feel like they have to perform in order to be okay or to be learning. Um, I mean, I know that I've learned most from my failures. So being able to just jump in, try my hand at stuff, um, and have a way to be successful in the classroom without always getting everything right so that I can learn through the process is one of the things that we've tried to work yeah. into the grammar. And one of the things we do for that that I find really unique, students come and because the grammar is really thorough, it throws thousands of pieces of information at you. And then it just asks you to remember like one chart, just draw this one, these six extra symbols. But for the students, ah, there's a thousand pieces of information and then six brand new symbols. How are they ever going to survive that? And really, they're only quizzed on the six symbols. But they come to class often feeling insecure. Did I master enough? Because you can't master this. We use the exact same grammar for second year. And students are going, oh, now I get it. Because we, yeah, anyway. But one of the things we do so that they can walk in the door with confidence is we put a time limit on the amount of work they do each week. They translate, including all their reading and everything else for five hours a week, and then they draw a line. And if they have walked in that classroom and we call on them and they haven't gotten that far, they just say, I translated five hours, but I didn't get this far. And then- That's fine. That's fine. And then maybe we'll have them sight read, maybe for the sake of time, we'll move to someone else. But if a student gives us five hours a week and plus learns, um, vocabulary words intermittently, and remember, this is for a four-hour class, sure. three-hour class at the seminary, then I have no doubt in my mind that they'll be reading by the end of the time, and we have tutors that help them for free and all kinds of stuff, but then they know that their benchmark is something that they can objectively say whether they met or not, and that does a and lot. And everything else is icing on the cake. Yeah, that does a lot to remove that feeling of, I'm an idiot. I'm not getting this. Okay, well, well, then you and I have to work harder in the classroom because you gave me the time we agreed on. And um, it's given me a tool to allow them to be who they are um, and, they all and to learn at their own rate. They all learn at different rates, yes, and they excel at different parts of the process. You know, we have some students that can't parse worth a hill of beans, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But they can read with their gut like nobody's business. And then you get these OCD seminary students. Like I was. That can parse anything. But man, oh man, it is just so hard to try and understand it while it's coming off the page. Mm. And we've got undergrads and grad students in the same classroom and keep underscoring the fact that, you know, look, you're in your own journey in this. You've got all these colleagues around you, but you're going to, you're going to find different strengths, and you can't try and cover everything all at the same time. You get the basics down, and we recognize that we're interleaving all these elements that are going to culminate somewhere down the line for you. And, you know, it's going to come together like a jigsaw puzzle out of thin air, and you're going to wonder where those parts came. But it's because you were exposed to it at some point. Mm -hmm. and. And my very favorite, I may have said this about some part of Hebrew before because I'm notorious for using this word too much, but this is my absolute favorite part of our Hebrew program. That piece that Carl just mentioned, um, where everybody has different strengths, 
um, anyone who's been a mom has been able to see this. You know, you take your toddler anywhere and everyone you're looking around and is someone else's baby outperforming yours? Look, this one can talk and this one skipped crawling and this one is crawling already. And this one, you know, everyone learns at a different rate. But what happens when the adults that are sitting in the classroom in front of you experience that um, is that they have to figure out what it means to be gifted the way that God gifted them and to admire rather than envy the strengths that others have. And you have them for a whole year and it's a, sometimes we have them for five or six years, let's be honest, <laughs> but we love them still anyway, <laughs> but you have them for a long amount of time and they're in groups with their peers for a long time and watching them go from, I wish I could do this like so-and-so and I'm not good at this and look, they're super smart. And Hey, this one asked a question that I don't even understand the question to, Oh, I struggle in this area. But so here's and what so I have excels, to offer. but here's what I have to offer. And it's it, all of that kind of shaping probably comes from my years with Dr. Block. He was insistent that uh, the students would learn that and respect one another in that way. And he was masterful in how he created it. I don't know if I could do it as well as him without the avenue of Hebrew, because it's so clear when you're working in a skills-based, objective-driven kind of setting that where, where people excel. We had one girl last week in second year. She's, um, she's in a counseling undergrad program. She wants to be a therapist. So right away, she feels a little like she doesn't fit because she's taking this just for fun and it's not about her field and other people are trying to get into a PhD. And, and so she's reserved and she brings different skill sets. She struggles in some ways and excels in others. And last week she figured out where she fit in the program because she had something to give back. I needed encouragement for my first year students because I was going to kill myself, mother henning them to death. <laughs> and I needed them to step up second year students and just reach out once a week to the first year students. And she's like, I can, I can do that. And I even know how they feel because I didn't think I was going to make it either. And watching her and taking just a minute to say, do you get that that's what the church is like? Do you, do you see now that God made everyone different for a reason? And it sounds like such a rudimentary uh, concept, but they live it and learn it through doing. And man, it is the neatest part of our program, mm -hmm. uh, watching them grow in their humility and also in their confidence about whatever unique thing it is that God made them with an appreciation for what everyone else brings where they struggle. It's, uh, it makes it worth it because it's a lot of work. Yeah. Well, and I hear you, I hear you saying that, yeah, because it's so difficult, painful, right? Um, it, puts us, it puts us in a place where we must, one, recognize our weaknesses. We're not always just doing something that comes naturally to us. Yeah. And, yep. But at the same time, we recognize how we can help one another, and that, that's yep. where the promise is. So that's, uh, yep. that's an encouragement to me. I, it's evident that you guys deeply care about the language, deeply care about the students. You've, you've written, now produced this new grammar. How do you guys, you said you use it for first and second year students. What sets it apart and how do you guys use it in your program? If you're doing so much translation, reading, discussion, it sounds like, what role does the textbook play? How is the textbook 
different. In many ways, the textbook is... It's our lecture. It's, it's our lecture. It, it, it has a lot of continuity with everything that's gone before it, too. Um, there's a sense in which we just want to be able to make Hebrew accessible to people. And some of the things that I think are are difficult is taking advanced concepts and making sure that you're introducing them at a beginning level where people can start to understand how all the pieces fit together. And I think sometimes, let's be honest, we all get, you know, a little overwhelming with details and whatnot. And we've tried as much as we can to create a framework that shows the continuity of Hebrew from beginning to end all the verbs are related, even though they might look different. And part of that is informative, which comes in the grammar itself. And then part of it is immersion. They're immersed in it. Mm. In well, the and the other translation thing, part. along with taking complex ideas and making them basic introductory pieces that are in the first three to five weeks, um, I tell the students all the time, just hang on with me for three weeks. We've got to give you tools, but you're not going to know how to use them yet and what the tools are for. But you need them, so wait just a little bit. Just hang with us. And um, But along with that, what I hated as a student was being taught something really basic so that I could master it and then perform and get 100 on every test and then come to a text and I couldn't read the thing. Hmm. because, oh, yeah, I didn't tell you this piece, or oh, I didn't want to confuse you or overwhelm you with this piece. And it made it feel, even if I had been told, we're going to learn it in a basic form this week, and then in second semester, you're going to learn a more complex form. By the time I got to second semester, I had already been psyched out that this was too difficult for me last year. And you were I, frustrated that you weren't getting the whole picture up front, and so you kind of hold off your learning because you know it's yeah. not a thorough perspective. So we're pretty thorough. There are still pieces every once in a while. We were debating about one today. Should we have put it in? Shouldn't we have? Carl was arguing that it was probably in one of the drafts and I probably yanked it out and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but it's relatively thorough. It's also written since both of us tried to teach ourselves Hebrew on our own the first time. It's written with that student in mind. More and more, we're being asked to do things online. I like understanding of what I'm doing. I need to know why. And a, a simple chart is not relevant to most of our students. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of that explanation in there mm -hmm. um, and a lot of thoroughness. It can be overwhelming. Um, but that basically is the essence of each lecture each week. We lecture, other than the first yeah. two or three weeks when we need to give them more lecture, we lecture one hour a class. And then the part that hasn't been seen yet by public, except for maybe sample forms, but it'll be coming out soon. Um, and this is like one of those other pieces we're really proud of. We've taken the egg, the Joseph narrative from Genesis 37 to the end of the book and made written it. Um, well, so we, it matches the grammar level yeah. of each chapter as you progressively move through the book. So you, we didn't write it. We took the biblical text and then took out the portions or reworked or simplified whatever portions. As much as possible, it keeps the Hebrew idiom. You're still having a cross-cultural experience. It's not English Hebrew. It's And it's long it's biblical Hebrew. text. It's a whole chapter at a time. So it's not, you know, the king, the good king, a good king. It's um, a narrative. It's got cohesiveness it 
maintains the Hebrew idioms. It's long enough for the students that come a little more intuitively by their language ability. It's got plenty for you to work with. Mm -hmm. um, and this is and the workbook? That's this the workbook. is the workbook. And by about halfway through the semester, you can tell because of the accents. They don't learn the accents rotely. They just, all of a sudden, they start appearing in the text because when the accents were there in the text, in the biblical text, we don't remove them. So uh, that probably... Anything, anything yeah, that's in the workbook that has the Masoretic accents is unmodified. From the biblical so text. a person can look at any translation exercise and they can tell how closely it approximates yes. what's in the message. So you'll get text. entire verses where the students are going, oh my goodness, I just read straight biblical text. Yeah, yeah, you did. You're in week eight of Hebrew and you just read verse after verse of biblical Hebrew. And so that by second year, and of course we put glosses in and we, I mean, we've worked really hard at it. The other thing that we did, this was actually how Carl's done it forever. Um, we require the students to learn the vocabulary and be quizzed on it the week before they do the translations so that the impediment of not knowing what a word is, is Doesn't removed enough so that they can yeah. work with yeah, the By the end of the first semester, they are having straight, unmodified text. Yeah. And, and then they, they move to Ruth and Jonah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Man, and that's so, um, just you guys' well, focus on the biblical text, I think, is, is going to be huge and helpful. I know that that's something that, um, you know, in my experience here at Midwestern Seminary, we've prioritized for second-year Hebrew. And so you guys are, you're imagining, I'm assuming, so, you know, we'll, those who teach Hebrew who are listening now, um, you know, this workbook is coming out that's accompanying um, the grammar, which is already out. And you're imagining people use this for both uh, four semesters or two semesters? Well, we teach it in two semesters. Okay. And then in the, four, in the second year, um, we review the whole grammar in one semester. But again, only an hour a week so that sure. the rest of the time is spent translating. Right. And, and, yeah. But um, and that allows the student to kind of go back and consolidate. Yeah, and what we're hoping now, I don't know if Lexham wants me to say this or not, because I don't know if they'll be will be able to do this or not. But it's all going to be um, primarily digital. We have the hard copy book out now because Carl and I are geeks and don't even know how to log in to log us. Probably, um, don't tell them that. Anyway, um, but eventually, what we would like when the whole thing is digital is that and. and I'm trying to put disclaimers I don't need to put because I'm confident this is the way we're going. How's that? Okay. You will be able to let it know whether you're uh, whether you are reviewing it, and then it will open up just the big chunks of material that you can read and say, "Oh, yeah, I know that. Move on." Or if you want, um, so the second year student could look at something and say, "You know what? I don't remember that concept. I need a little more information," and then just click on it, and the text will expand to the full chapter, and you can skim through it and see. But it will kind of help a second year student um, without having to read through a hundred pages, review a hundred pages of material based on, you know, oh, oh yeah, I need to know the alphabet. Oh, I know the alphabet. All right. I need to know the noun endings. Uh, I don't quite remember why they do that. Click. Oh, now I remember. I know the noun endings. So yeah, that, that software functionality thing is a big deal. I mean, just it's a big deal. Being able to, yeah, exactly basically have a research assistant there who goes, hold on, teach, teach me a little bit more about 
about nouns and then, okay, pull that up yep. real quick. Um, yep. That's exciting. Yep. And you guys are going to, you're integrating that or planning to integrate that into your, like the, the homework you're assigning students. The homework is already embedded in the workbook. It's right. All, all set. What, what we're talking about is phase two of the workbook. Um, uh, of the grammar. Right? Of the grammar and the workbook. It will go to digital. And when it goes to the digital side, it will include um, animated videos that deal with concepts like the historical development of Hebrew, how to comprehend Hebrew while you're reading it. Um, all the audio files will be there for every Hebrew word in the grammar and the workbook. You just click on it and it reads it to you. And Yeah, so Lexham will be starting that after all the printed materials are out. Sometime this spring, we'll start developing all that. And trying to just make Hebrew as accessible as possible to whoever wants to try and spend some time reading God's Word in the original language and... Mm-hmm. Um, whatever we can do to make that happen is um, what we have on the forefront of our mind. Yeah, mm-hmm. Erasmus and Luther would be overjoyed. I like to think um, this <laughs> yeah. is. I mean, this is just a. I mean, it's a, it's an embarrassment of riches that we have today, right? And software mm-hmm. only can mm-hmm. kind of increase that. So you guys have what sounds like a really uh, solid community. And um, we're, we're, we'll, we'll, cl- we'll close maybe with this. If you're talking to somebody who is a self-learner and they want to pick this up and they think, well, I've got Logos. Seems like learning biblical Hebrew is the way to go. They're going to have this extra stuff here in a few months. Um, obviously, they don't have this community of people to, with which to read Hebrew. Um, how would you encourage them? Maybe, maybe just hear from you, Becky, and then you, Carl. How would I encourage them? Um, one thing, well, this is, go for it. Just go for it. Just enjoy it. It's super, super fun. But one thing we have also talked with Lexum about is trying to somehow allow for that kind of community, even on this kind of platform, hmm. because it is going to all be, well, I mean, I'm always going to use books and I'm always going to like books better, but eventually this will be primarily digital, I think, for most people. So that gives that ability to find someone else who's doing Hebrew. Um, for now, I would say maybe find someone else in the community that has that same passion and just sure. do, it do it together. We actually allow everything except for the testing to be done in groups. Homework is done together. Um, at, at one, one student asked me the other day, well, what if I learn more quickly on my own? And I said, okay. She said, but I enjoy it more in a group. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's see, torture or fun? <laughs> I'm picking fun. I can so, only imagine that you would pick fun. <laughs> yeah. So um, That's fantastic. So but we really are looking at ways that you can, um, we do this with our online students, you know, check in with someone else every once in a while, sit down and read together. Sure. So, Carl, how about digital, you? What would you tell the self-learner? Well, for the self-learner, especially in this digital world where you've got the ability to connect with somebody long distance, I would agree with Becky. It's about finding somebody else who has the same kind of passion, and you make it a point to learn in community. Um, that's what drives a lot of our program is the community part. Our younger students are you know, spending most of their time just trying to keep 
you know, the, the information straight. But our advanced students are constantly meeting with younger students. We have what the students call the Hebrew family. They get together, they study together. They, are we allowed to say on air that they do Hebrewski? Yeah, they have a Hebrewski <laughs> where they go to Hebrew at the pub. And they're just a great. Well, in Oregon, that's okay. It is. Yeah. Culturally, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, Twenty-one but they plus. They really reach out to one another a lot, and I would even say um, part of what will probably be driving whatever we do come up with to create community online will be our former students saying, "Hey, we want to chat with and encourage whoever's trying this." And we, as professors, we've already had two or three conversations this year, many more in the past, with professors who are learning how to teach this. For me, learning how to teach this was a big learning curve because I didn't know Hebrew this well. Hmm. Um, and Carl was beyond gracious in creating a space where I could admit what I didn't know without feeling like that what disqualified me. Hmm. Sure. And... Um, so we, you know, and frankly, that's just a problem with the academy in general. Yeah. We don't want to admit when we don't know something about mm. a topic. But if we're willing to come to the table and say, you know what, I I understand how to do this, but there are things I don't understand. Let's have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Let's keep it in the process of learning and model it for our students. Yeah. And, and Carl and I are actually great. looking forward to conversations with those types of professors that we've had three or four say, can I have a copy of your syllabus? Would you mind? And then they get inundated with, here's my syllabus. Here's the quiz. Here's the, how else can we help you? Well, and yeah. even if somebody, you know, it doesn't matter how much background you have, it's still going to be packaged in a way that is not necessarily going to be immediately obvious to an instructor as to why we're doing it. There's, there's so much pedagogy that goes into this grammar. It's the culmination of, for me, 30 years of teaching Hebrew and Every part of that grammar, every page has a reason, either why it's laid out the way it is, the direction that the font goes, the visuals, um, the methodology in terms of when we introduce stuff and why and how. I mean, there's so much to it that it's not even a conversation about content because, you know, faculty are going to be have a competency in Hebrew, but it's more of a conversation about how do you best communicate with students who have such a broad range of skill sets. Some in the past I've had who have had exemptions from the university to ever do a language because they had a second grade language acquisition level, but they wanted to learn Hebrew. Those people can succeed. They've done great. They do great. And you've got on the other end, the people that, you know, are involved in linguistics. We've got people with Wycliffe and other organizations that come back and they take Hebrew and they love the linguistic side. And there's something there that can touch the, the, the spectrum, the, the spectrum for every student that's involved. And yeah, we're proud of it. You can yeah. tell. Sorry. No, I am. This is fantastic. <laughs> Guys, this has been uh, this has been a good time, and I mean, I hear your passion for it. I think that this resource is going to be helpful for people. I'm excited to direct them to it, and upcoming workbook and resources that come along with that. Uh, Carl, Becky, this has been great. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you. 